What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is a very special guest. This is a man that I have been following and learning from, from prob- for probably almost a decade now, literally. I found Dr. Jade Tata on T Nation so long ago, th- it was ridiculous. Social media wasn't even a thing yet, and I was just learning and studying and trying to become a better coach. I believe I was 18 when I first stumbled upon uh, one of Jade Tata's articles actually on the metabolism and that's why I'm so excited to bring him on not only because I've been following him for so long but he was writing about like shit the metabolic effect diet was a book that he published and came out with in 2010 so nine years ago Um, he followed that up with the metabolic aftershock lose weight here talking about the metabolism and how we can use it to burn stubborn body fat and actually fix problem areas. The metabolic prime was another one. The metabolic renewal roadmap. Like this dude came out with book after book after book on the metabolism. And a lot of them came out before people were even talking about the metabolism, which is why I'm so excited to bring him on because he is the OG, the original man who started talking about the metabolism before reverse dieting was a thing, before metabolic adaptation or metabolic damage even became a keyword or a term whatsoever. This guy was talking about the metabolism and making us realize how important the metabolism is for long-term success and that even though calories in versus calories out is the answer to fat loss, it's not the key to sustainable results because if we just constantly chase a caloric deficit, we are bound to achieve nothing but metabolic adaptation. So even if we do achieve our fat loss goal, eventually we will probably gain that weight back because we harm the metabolism and all these other hormones in the process. In fact, this is exactly what I went through when I did my first competition. I got on stage for a physique show, completely shredded, super happy with my results, but I had no diet for after the diet. I had no plan. So afterwards, I gained a ton of weight back. I didn't know where my macros needed to be at, and I didn't even know what reverse dieting was, mainly because it wasn't even a term yet. Uh, But I didn't understand the metabolism, and Jade was somebody that I went to and sought out for research, education, and information to learn my own body and understand how to shift my metabolism to get healthy again and actually keep the weight off that I lost. So um, as you can tell, I'm hyped to have him on the show because he is such a smart guy. He's such a genius when it comes to metabolism. And and it's cool because he's not just a trainer. He's not just a nutrition coach, but he's actually a doctor. So he has been in the clinical setting as well as the coaching setting like most of us listening are currently in. So you guys are going to love this episode. You guys are going to learn so much about the metabolism. You guys are going to hear me and Jade talk about so many detailed processes that go into coaching and creating successful results that actually last through nutrition. So before I give away the whole show or hype this man up too much, I'm going to get to it, guys. So before I get into this show, one more quick announcement. As you guys know, we want to grow the show and we want to reach as many people as possible because the more people we reach, the more people we help. And the more people we help, the more results are achieved around the world. And we want to be a part of that. And we want you to help us grow that movement and support that movement. So the best way for you to do that is simple. Jump on your Instagram, tag myself and Jade. So make sure you take a screenshot of the show, post it on your story. You're going to tag me at Cody.BoomBoom and you're going to tag Jade Tata. So at Jade, J-A-D-E, Tata, T-E-T-A. I'm going to put both of those in the show notes below. Um, But jump on your Instagram, post a story, tag us both. Let us know what you loved about the show. We want to talk to you guys. And without any further ado, let's get on to the metabolic master himself, Dr. Jade 
Tata. All right, Dr. Jade Tata. I'm super pumped to have you here, actually, man, because way back, um, I haven't even told you this yet, actually, uh, years ago, I went through a pretty uh, horrific metabolic story just from doing a physique competition, bodybuilding, and then, of course, binging afterwards, not having a plan. And this is before macros and and a lot of the things that have come out on metabolism have actually been prevalent enough for me to know what to do. Um, and I read a lot of your content to actually help me get through that and learn how to fix my metabolism, get back on things. I mean, dating way back on T Nation forums. And I mean, like <laughs> years ago, man. So this is really cool to have you on the show. I'm excited to have you here. Um, for the listeners who aren't super familiar with you, can you just give us Jade Tata in a nutshell? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me, Cody. I appreciate it, man. It's, um, that's interesting to hear, right? There's not a whole lot on sort of um, dealing with some of the metabolic, you know, sort of issues that come up with dieting. So um, we can actually, we could touch on that if you want, but that's cool to hear. Um, for those who don't know me, um, the best way to think about me is as sort of a hybrid fitness professional. So you take 25 years in the personal training industry, throw that into a blender, you take, um, you know, uh, natural medicine. I have my degree as a naturopathic physician and spent, you know, good 12 years in that realm in natural medicine. And um, I also uh, am very much into psychology and philosophy. And so put all that into a blender and you kind of have a guy who's um, mainly a clinician, but also, and by clinician, I just mean a dude who sits across the table from people for years and years, uh, taking their cases, acting as a physician, but also a personal trainer and um, for lack of a better term, life coach. And so I like to describe it as mind, muscle and metabolism. And I like to think about it in that hierarchy. You know what I mean? That's mindset sort of comes first and um, sort of this mind body uh, connection. And so that hopefully gives you a little bit of an idea um, how I come at things. And I'll say one thing before I get your comments, Cody. One thing that I'll say about me is I don't know how, how many people, I stole this from Brendan Burchard, and I don't know how many people know him, but he's a, um, he's a person in the internet space. But there are three, really three types of professionals, right? There's results getters, there's researchers, and there's role models. And I think whenever you're listening to sort of someone like me talk or someone like Cody talk, it's oftentimes good to kind of be like, all right, what are they in terms of their area of expertise? Are they sort of just a role model? They look good and they know what works for them. Are they a researcher where they know the science? Are they a results getter where they really deal with thousands of people and, you know, really have to work with all different types of psychologies and metabolic uniqueness and personal preferences and things like that. And hopefully the expert is um, a little bit of all three. And so I strive to really be all three and probably in more in the results getter category just because I've worked with a ton, a ton of people. And so hopefully that gives people a sense of where I'm coming from. Yeah. And I love that, man, because I think as a coach, that's the most important thing to me is like, I do dive into the research and I think that's very important, but we can read studies all day long. If you can't apply it to a person in real life, what good is it, right? So being able to take all this information and make it applicable is really, really what it's all about. And I want to just echo a little bit more about you for the listeners. Like Jade is one of the first guys to really come out and talk about metabolism from a longevity standpoint, not just getting you quick results, but like, let's actually dive into the metabolism, get you healthy and get you sustainable results that you can keep. Um, and he was one of the first people and I talk about metabolism, reverse dieting and all these things all the time, because we see so many people that come to us 
in a plateau, under eating, just stuck and frustrated. And you were one of the first guys to really come out and make this a well-known thing in the industry. So I got to commend you for that. And I got to let people know so they can go do research and like read some of the shit you've been putting out for the last decade on this stuff. So it's really important. But to go a little bit further, let's, let's get into your story. Cause like you said, you have a clinical background. I want to kind of get into where this all started. Why did you jump into the fitness space in the first place? Yeah. Well, you know, at, at 15, I started, which is people often kind of, they laugh, they laugh at that and say, come on, man, 15, really? And that's honestly the truth. I had two older brothers who were into fitness and football, and I wanted to be like my older brothers. So at 11, I really started lifting weights heavily and, you know, finally talked to my dad to let me train at 11. Because back then it was believed if you were young and you were training, it would stunt your growth. We know that's not kind of true now but and then at 15 I started writing programs for guys on the football team uh, and even some of their their uh their mothers and you know stuff like that who were just like oh I want a program and so I, I got very much into this at 15 so I was working probably as a personal trainer at 15 years old not yet really getting paid for it but sort of heavily into it and um at that time man I, I don't know how you came about, about this Cody but I was really doing it for football because I loved football and I wanted to be great at football but something shifted along the way where I was just like man I'm really I'm actually really good at this and people are getting results from this um but I was also your pretty typical uh egotistical arrogant young dude you know what I mean <laughs> and and I was very set in my ways and I was just basically like do it my way and if you don't you know, then uh, you're just not, you know, being compliant and I don't really want to work with you and there's one way to do it and men and women should train exactly the same and all, the, all that stuff that a lot of people are still sort of saying. And then I ran into some personal issues myself and it took into medical school where I basically gained about 30 pounds in three months from bartending like crazy, going to full-time medical school and personal training like crazy. And I didn't know what was going on. I diagnosed myself with a hypothyroid condition at that time. And my lean physique that I always maintained easily, all of a sudden, I had this puffy, waterlogged, muscle fat look that honestly has kind of stayed with me since. I've never really recovered back to that lean guy. Um, and that was, I think, the defining moment for me. It's funny how our own personal struggles will tap us in. All of a sudden, I woke up and said, damn, all those people, all those years who I was just blaming it on non-compliance, I'm sure some of them were dealing with the same issues I'm dealing with now. And I kind of woke up to that. you know. And I think many people, most professionals in this field simply don't because they never deal with it themselves. They don't see it enough clinically. So they just go, hey, you're just not being compliant. It all comes down to calories in, calories out. There is no such thing as sort of um, metabolic issues and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I was, I'm happy that I woke up to that and had this sort of personal um, struggle and continue with that personal struggle. So I think from there, then I started really delving into what are the differences in um, metabolism? How does it really work? How is a male different from a female? How do athletes who um, are training like crazy and under eating, how do they actually perform and what actually happens to their physiques and what happens to their performance? And how can I delve into this a little bit different? You know, is it possible, you know, is it possible that diet and exercise can become too stressful for the body? And all these questions were in my head and I just went deep dive 
into that stuff. And I'll say one thing before I get your thoughts on this. Here's the thing that I think we miss. We humans like to think in black and white, right? So what happened was the vast majority of people that we see, like you and me see, Cody, and we talk to, they're not going to deal with some of these issues, right? They just, their metabolism responds fine. They can recover quickly. Um, and especially when they're younger, you know, 20s and 30s. But there is that small subset that are dealing with these issues that we all need to be aware of. And I think once you start to become aware of it, not only does it help you get results for the people who are really struggling, but it also helps you, to your point, say, well, as I age, this stuff may come up and it's good that I understand it. It also helps me understand my metabolism because the metabolism is changeable, it's adaptive and it's reactive. And sometimes the way it adapts and reacts is not healthy. And so I just think we need to kind of keep that in mind. Yes, the vast majority of people are going to pretty much do just fine with a lot of the standard ways of talking about metabolism. But I think there's a small minority that absolutely don't. And um, they need a different approach. And actually, I think that minority is sort of growing for whatever reason. It's sort of, it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, we can all guess as to why that is the case. Yeah, I think it's definitely getting worse. And, and one thing I want to, I, I want to kind of dive into how we can I guess, identify who that minority is. Um, and you, it's probably going to allude to you sharing your story of how you discovered how you were part of that minority, but also how we can determine that from a standpoint of not just uh, mistracking. Cause I think I love that you pointed that out. Cause I think there's a lot of like going back to where you were talking about, there's the researchers, the result getters. There's a lot of researchers out there blaming it on. Everybody's just mistracking. You're not weighing your food properly. You're not tracking everything. And, and I think it sucks because it's going out in the media as you're just doing it wrong. And there's a lot of times that's not the case. And I call bullshit on that because I don't think that's always, always the reason. Now, obviously there's people who don't track properly because there always will be, but um, I would love to get your opinion on how we can determine when and when that's not the case. And obviously your story as well of how you discovered that for yourself personally. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say, and I'm glad you said it because I'm going to say it here as well. I respect and admire a lot of these girls and guys out there who are researchers and are, you know, we need them. Um, even when they are sort of being, uh, you know, uh, arrogant and on their high horse, we need them. I can look past all that. But the bottom line is, and I would say this to any one of them, they absolutely are wrong. They're, they are wrong. They need to realize they're wrong. They can keep saying what they want to say all they want. I have seen it over and over and over again clinically. And anybody who spends any amount of time in a clinical setting knows this to be true. So I would just literally, I'll come out and say, they are, um, the, they are two of the worst things that we humans do. It's ignorance and arrogance combined that gets you in trouble. And bias and dogma are the parents of ignorance and arrogance. And to my point, just basically, let's speak the truth. Just say, you know what? I believe that this isn't happening if you're one of these researchers. I believe this, this, and this. But I leave open the idea that perhaps it is because I don't work in a clinical setting. To me, I would, I, would, I would be far more understanding of that type of thing. But these individuals, as smart as they are, who are saying this stuff isn't going on, are just flat out wrong. And I'm, I'll go ahead and call bullshit on them as well. And I think we should because they simply um, don't see it. Um, and so I, and I would debate any one of them at any time, any place to, that, that basically show them that this is, uh, this is the case. And so um, that being said, how do we sort of get into this idea of um, 
how to make sense of this. The metabolism really, first of all, you have to sort of understand what it really is. It is not a calculator. It's partly a calculator. It partly behaves that way. It is also not a chemistry set, okay? It, it partly behaves that way. So when I say calculator, that means the calories in, calories out model. Certainly calories matter. They matter most and they matter a lot. However, hormones and all these other things we talk about matter as well. So the metabolism is both a calculator and a chemistry set and a stress barometer and thermostat. Its job is to keep us in balance, right? It's, you know, homeostasis. That's its entire job. So anytime the metabolism is pushed out of balance, it is going to react. And we want to understand what that reaction looks like. And what it looks like is hunger issues, energy issues, craving issues, sleep, fragmented sleep, disrupted sleep, mood issues, libido issues, exercise performance and exercise recovery issues, signs and symptoms of disease. Anytime you, got, you have sort of this, these biofeedback sensations being lit up and you're experiencing these things in your body, you can basically bring it back to quote, stress. Now, that word is a tough word to all wrap our heads around, right? Because it encompasses so much. But when I use the word stress, I'm not talking about just emotional turmoil, anxiety and depression and things like that. I'm talking about stress in the metabolism, which for the vast majority of our evolution with a human metabolism has been the starvation stress response. And that goes from a very acute starvation response to a very chronic starvation response. And the metabolism will do everything it can to uh, battle against that. And I think if you wanna understand this um, just at a very simplified level, just think about it like this. Pretty much the metabolism sees almost every stress as some variation of the starvation response. And because of that, uh, you can obviously push yourself into issues with uh, disrupted sleep, if you're staying up late, if you're having blue light in your eyes constantly, if you are starving yourself and over-exercising, all of this stuff can uh, cause issues. Now, in most people, as soon as they go back to doing what they're doing, they're going to be just fine. And in some people, a minority, but a pretty sizable minority, it's going to cause long-term issues. And so I'll, I'll just wait to see where you kind of want to go from there to sort of talk about this story. But I think that is ultimately what you want to think about. The metabolism is adaptable, changeable, reactive. It is one giant stress barometer. It is speaking to us all of the time. And these signs and symptoms and biofeedback sensations of hunger, energy, craving, mood changes, sleep, these are clues to us as sort of, if you will, metabolic detectives to begin paying attention to what our metabolism is doing so that we can not hit plateaus, not get into, um, you know, sort of these metabolic resistance or for lack of a better term, metabolic damage states, which I know that's a very controversial term, which we can um, discuss if you want. But that is the starting point to this, understanding how the metabolism is speaking to you and how it behaves. I love that you said that because something we do in our practice with our coaches is, is all of our clients track all those biofeedback markers, sleep, stress, cravings, mood, motivation, things like that. Cause we want to be, have some kind of clue of like what you said, what their hormones are doing in general. I would love to take this, the individual route of talk about like 
what does a timeline look like, right? Like when do people, when can we predict that we're going to start seeing this starvation stress response happening? You know, is three weeks okay, four weeks okay, 12 weeks okay? How long can we diet? When can we diet? Things like that. But I think to set the stage for that, I'd love for you to kind of go over your uh, theory on this. You talk a lot about, um, I believe it's like, there's the four different categories of like exercise, uh, less, eat less, um, eat more, exercise more, things like that. Can you kind of break that down for people so they just have kind of that foundation level before we start diving into the, the nitty gritty? Yeah, absolutely. And for, first thing I'll say is I'll say, um, I'll say this, your metabolism, if your metabolism is a stress barometer, right? One of the things it's measuring is it's measuring intake and output, right? How, many, how much energy you're using and how much energy you are taking in. And so I call this sort of the calorie gap, right? So do you have a narrow calorie gap or do you have a very wide calorie gap? And what happens is if you create a wide calorie gap, a wide gap between what you're using in energy and what you're taking in in energy, this is going to potentially create a stress response after a cer certain amount of time. So hopefully this makes sense to you, right? So what we typically do in the world of health and fitness is we say create a calorie deficit, which is just another word for this calorie gap, and pretty much across the board, create as wide a deficit as you can, right? Eat like a bird, work out like crazy, whether it's longer workouts or more intense workouts or whatever. That's typically the thing, and we want to create these wide calorie gaps. Now, I don't know yet, based on the research, where this becomes an issue for people. Is it 500 calorie gap? Is it 250? Is it 1,000? Based on what I know, looking at the research and working clinically, it probably depends on the individual. Cody's going to respond, maybe get, start having a stressful response when he reaches 1,000. Maybe Jade is going to be like at 500 or 300. But at some point, that calorie gap, that calorie deficit is going to begin to cause the metabolism to say, hey, I'm not liking this too much anymore. I feel like if we continue doing this, we are going to move into sort of a starvation response, and I don't like that. And by the way, starvation response just simply means the body going, hey, I'm using up a lot of fuel. I'm not getting a whole lot in. Let me uh, make sure that I'm going to do some things to assure that I won't starve, like increase hunger, increase cravings, and slow down my metabolic rate a little bit. Now, this is known as the eat less, exercise more approach, right? We all know this dieting approach, eat less, exercise more. It often creates a pretty big calorie gap, which can be stressful. And the bigger that gap, the more stressful it can be. And depending on the individual, the more stressful it can be. And there's some indication that it's more stressful for women because they are the gender of childbearing. So they need to be a little bit more stress sensitive. So eat less, exercise more. There's nothing wrong with it, by the way. It can be highly effective. But remember, the metabolism is a changeable, adaptable system. So if you do anything forever, it's already adapted, right? So eat less, exercise more is one particular approach and it can go too far. Now, a lot of savvy coaches and professionals have picked up on this and learned about things like the leptin reset and all this kind of stuff. And they say, well, we'll just do refeeds and cheat meals and that kind of stuff. So we'll go back to take people from this eat less, exercise more approach and every once in a while give them an eat more, exercise less approach, right? That also creates a pretty big calorie gap just in on the other side of things right and so 
Most people, by the way, who are trying this are ping-ponging back and forth between eat less exercise, more the dieter, and eat more exercise, less the couch potato, right? And this become, creates a problem. Now, here's an interesting thing, right? And I know you know the answer to this, Cody, but I'll just pose it to the listeners. Isn't it interesting? What does, what in terms of biofeedback, what does the eat less exercise more dieter and the eat more exercise less couch potato have in common in terms of biofeedback sensations? Think about that for a minute, right? Eat less exercise more dieters and eat more exercise less couch potatoes. They each share sort of this common thing and it is hunger, energy, unpredictability and instability and cravings. Both of them are suffering from this sort of hunger energy craving issue or what I call heck out of check, which is a key sign when heck goes out of check that the metabolism is under stress. So the dieter doing that too long becomes hunger energy and craving issues. The couch potato doing that too long has hunger energy and craving issues. What I'm telling those of you who are listening to this is that that when the hunger energy and cravings goes out of check when heck goes out of check that is an indication that your stress barometer has moved too far in the wrong direction in other words you as an individual have now started to stress out your system and the metabolism will push back against you now Cody asked the question right He's, he basically said how long does this take well it's going to vary from person to person but I can tell you based on my clinical experience Staying in the dieter state for any long, longer than about two weeks, you're going to have to start relying on willpower. For most people, they'll start to compensate and get this heck out of check response within seven to 10 days. And normally it goes like this, right? The first couple of days are kind of difficult. Then you get into a groove and you're feeling great. You're losing weight. And then 10, 14 days later, you're like, oh my God, I feel miserable. I want to eat my arm off, right? That's what typically happens in the eat less, exercise more state. In the eat more exercise less state it's typically about four days or so any more than a long weekend and that cheap meal or cheap weekend turns into a cheap month right and we could talk a little bit about that so that you don't really want to stay in there that long either so then the issue is if you're listening closely you're kind of like well that is kind of tricky then right Jade because neither one of these states are beneficial over the long point period of time they can create issues for people and that's why I started to talk about two other types of dietary approaches where the calorie gap is much less and much less stressful. One is the eat less, exercise less state, and the other is the eat more, exercise more state. Now, eat less, exercise less, you can think of this as the traditional hunter-gatherer or the traditional European or the traditional American farmer, right? They were moving a lot. We now know in research, by the way, in case anyone's not up to date on this, that we really need to be thinking about movement and exercise as two very different things. And Cody, we can cover that in detail if you want. But ultimately, you're moving a lot. You don't see a lot of these people running around. I was in Paris. I go to Paris almost every year. You don't see a lot of these Parisians who typically are very lean and eat what they want. They also smoke and drink a lot as well, but you don't see a lot of them out there doing CrossFit workouts in the park and jogging all over the place, but yet they stay lean. They live an ELEL lifestyle. They don't eat a lot. They don't exercise a lot. And part of the reason they don't eat a lot is because they don't exercise a lot. So eat less, exercise less is sort of this nice, relaxing, traditional lifestyle. Eat more, exercise more is the athletic approach. I'm eating a lot. I'm exercising a lot, right? 
Now you can create calorie deficits in both of these if you want to. And in the eat more, exercise more, you can actually create a calorie surplus and even gain some muscle. So I'm not saying calories don't matter here. And it's, it's somewhat a matter of semantics, but now we have four different toggles. Eat more, exercise less, couch potato. Eat less, exercise more, dieter. Eat less, exercise less, traditional hunter-gatherer. Eat more, exercise more, athlete. Now here's the one thing before I get your comments on this, Cody, and I say this all the time, and I think it makes the biggest impact. So here's a question to all the listeners. Isn't it interesting that everyone wants to look like an athlete? And when we look out in the world of physique development, athletes have the best bodies. They tend to be the leanest. They tend to function the best. They tend to be the most vital. And they tend to be the thing that everyone wants to look at. Now, isn't it ludicrous that everyone wants to look like an athlete, yet they do not do what athletes do? No athlete in his or her right mind is going to eat less and exercise more. And if they do, they won't be an elite athlete for too long. So let me say that again. Athletes don't eat less and exercise more. If they did, they would not be very good at their sport for very long. They eat more and exercise more. And that is the difference, right? And if they're going to perform at a very high level for a very long time, they don't live in the eat less, exercise more state. They live in the eat more, exercise more state. So these four toggles is where we want to be playing our game. And some people have accidentally stumbled across this. Sometimes you'll hear coaches, someone will come to them and say, I've hit a plateau. And what will the coach do? They'll say, oh, well, you're, you're eating less and exercising more. Let's just make you eat a little bit more food. And what happens? All of a sudden, what they essentially did without even being aware of it is they took someone from an eat less, exercise more state and put them more into an eat more, exercise more state, which the metabolism then goes, oh, maybe I'm not starving. Maybe I don't need to be so reactive and hungry all the time. This feels better. And then you start getting results again. What I'm saying is, if you understand these four toggles, now you can be even more savvy and begin to pick and choose which ones to move yourself into based on what you're trying to accomplish. None of them are bad, by the way. It's just knowing when to use them and how long to use them. I glad, I'm glad you started with the, the timeline because, and you're aware of this, there's a lot of studies on refeeds and it shows like 48 hours is the minimum you need to be refeeding. But like you said, if you just keep going and going, you're probably going to put your body out of whack and start craving food. Um, so how do you determine which route to take somebody, whether it is mm -hmm. the eat less, exercise less, is it just a personality thing? It doesn't matter on their dieting history, so on and so forth. And then ultimately, how do you go about and, and you're not going to be able to answer this fully because it's so individual, but how do you go about calculating this stuff? And the reason I want to ask you that is because there's a lot of calculators out there that just say, you know, multiply by this and boom, you're good. And, and that might give us some ranges that are relatively close, but it's never going to tell the whole story. So I'm just kind of curious about how you coach this. Yeah, it is very individual, but I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through kind of how I do this. So first of all, let's go through um, just some you know, people get upset about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some terminology um, real quick, just because when, we're, when we are trying to coach people, it is much better when we coach people if we give them frameworks, because frameworks, people can wrap their head around. Now, some people get all bent out of shape about frameworks. They're just words, <laughs> almost like marketing, that help the client grasp the information. There's nothing magic necessarily about them. Well, I use a framework 
a metabolic framework that goes from metabolic compensation to metabolic resistance to metabolic dysfunction or slash damage. Dysfunction is probably a better thing to call it. So in order to know how long or how to move people in and out of these, I, I need to go through these really quickly. Metabolic compensation just means that you are going along just fine and all of a sudden, heck, goes out of check. Hunger, energy, cravings, sleep, mood, all these biofeedbacks. So I use heck, hunger, energy, and cravings to, des to describe all biofeedback sensations. You could call it schmeck if you wanted to, sleep, hunger, mood, energy, cravings. But it means all these biofeedbacks. So when you're going along and schmeck or heck starts to go out of check, this is a good sort of indication that you've moved from sort of normal, just good metabolic function to metabolic compensation. Now, what does that mean? It means that your body is now starting to feel a little bit stressed out. So when you reach metabolic compensation, it's very easy to deal with this. It may happen in two weeks. It will probably happen within a few days if you're doing the couch potato model. It will happen within a few weeks if you're doing the dieter model. It will happen in a few months, perhaps, if you're doing eat less, exercise less, or eat more, exercise more. But, you, but we can individualize it just by saying, when does your schmeck go out of check or your heck go out of check? Once you reach that metabolic compensation, it's very easy at that point to just pick one other toggle. Any other toggle will do. If you've been eating less and exercising more and schmeck goes out of check, then maybe you want to go to either the eat less, exercise less, the eat more, exercise more, or the eat more, exercise less state for a time. And then you can move back to eat less, exercise more. So with metabolic compensation, Schmeck goes out of check, just choose any toggle you want, okay? Now the problem is that some people who do eat less, exercise more, their results will slow and what will they do? They'll double down and they'll just say, well, I just need willpower, 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 so they keep going. So they cut calories even more and they exercise even more and create a bigger calorie gap. What's the metabolism going to do there? Well, for a time, it's going to say, okay, I need to get this fuel from somewhere, so I will start burning fat. And then it will get even more stressed out, and now it will reach a point where you are exercising like crazy, and you are eating perfectly, and your results are either so slow or not coming at all. And, and no matter what you do, you're not seeing results. I call this metabolic resistance. Okay. At this point, this is where hunger, energy, and cravings have gone out of check, but this is one of those very few individuals can do this actually, but it's one of those people who's got iron will and just like, I've got the, the willpower and the staying power to do this and I'm stronger mentally than everyone else. So I'll just push myself. These people oftentimes go from metabolic compensation to metabolic resistance. Now at this point, what you want to do is you'll know because hunger, energy, and cravings will have been out of check for a long time. You've sort of overcome that with willpower, but no matter what you do, you're not getting results. And Cody, you and I have heard this a lot, right? It's like, I'm doing everything right and I'm not getting results. Oftentimes there is some truth to the fact that no, you're not doing everything right, but there are some people who indeed are doing everything right and not getting results. This is metabolic resistance. At this point, what you do is you move them into the two balancing states. You move them into eat less, exercise less, and EM, EM, eat more, exercise more, and you bounce back and forth between the two, cycling back and forth. Two weeks in one, two weeks in the other. One month in one, one month in the other. A week in one, a week in the other. And so with metabolic resistance, you're sort of bouncing back and forth to sort of 
I don't know, for lack of a better term, jiggle your metabolism back into action. Take the stress off the system, right? I oftentimes with this one, eat more, exercise more is a really good approach for those who love to exercise. And eat less, exercise less is a really good approach to start with for those who are just like, I'm freaking exhausted. The last thing you want to do at this point is really move someone into this eat more, exercise less state because they'll gain fat so fast it'll make your head spin, right? They'll blow up like a water balloon. So that's what you do in, in stage two. Now, once you get into metabolic dysfunction, you might say, well, Jade, what exactly do you mean by metabolic dysfunction? It's when metabolic resistance goes, you get stressful enough that now all of a sudden your body starts to register signs and symptoms of dysfunction or disease. Maybe you start getting signs and symptoms of hypothyroid, like happened to me. Maybe you start not being able to tolerate the whey protein that you used to be able to use just fine. Now it's giving you gas and bloating, right? Or maybe all of a sudden your joints are flaring up and you're just feeling achy all over your body when you wake up in the morning. Maybe you get a diagnosis, maybe you don't, but you feel like shit. You feel dysfunctional at this point. So this is what I call metabolic damage or metabolic dysfunction. Now, is the metabolism really damaged? Not really in the sense of like, you know, it's destroyed or anything like that. It's just that it is under extreme stress and you're now starting to see it show up in dysfunction or disease-like states. And sometimes there'll be a diagnosis and sometimes there, there won't be. At this stage in my clinical practice, I only have one choice and one choice only, and that is to move people into an eat less exercise less state for a time to get them back to balance, right? And so real quick, metabolic compensation, choose any other metabolic toggle, metabolic resistance, cycle back and forth from eat less, exercise less, and eat more, exercise more. Metabolic dysfunction or damage, eat less, exercise less until Schmeck gets back in check and they start feeling motivated and energetic again to exercise. And then you can move back into reverse it. Then you go ELEL with the MEM. And then maybe you can go back to eat less, exercise more. And by the way, when you are spending most of your time in ELEL, eat less, exercise less, and EMEM, eat more, exercise more, all of a sudden, if you go into the eat less, exercise more state, it works absolutely beautifully where it didn't work before because now your metabolism is flexible enough and adaptable enough to be like, oh, this works great. And so really it's about understanding the, the metabolism is adaptable and changeable. It is absolutely asinine to, to keep doing the same thing over and over when you're dealing with a changeable system. It adapts and reacts. And so I'll get your comments there. And then if you want, we can get into the next thing about how do, you do, how do I calculate this kind of thing. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I wanted to just remind you that one of the biggest things about the Boom Boom Performance movement is free content. We are literally here trying to change the world. And part of doing that is trying to give away as much free shit as possible. Literally, we want to educate the world on how to live a better life from our physical body to our mental sanity. We want to work with everybody possible and help them get educated on what it means to have proper nutrition, smart training, and live a healthier lifestyle to improve every aspect of their life. And part of that is giving away as much free content as possible as well as offering some really cool stuff to you guys, the listeners, the followers, the subscribers, whoever is listening to the show right now. So I want to remind you that we have tons of ebooks. We have the membership site. We offer coaching. We give away free seminars. We do so much stuff, and all of it can be found at 
boomboomperformance.com slash content. Or you can click the first link you see in the description of this podcast on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to it. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important for people to just keep remembering that you keep talking about heck and schmeck because if you get back to this place, you've done all these things and now you're feeling better and you go back into the exercise more, eat less or the eat less exercise more and you start seeing results, you cannot stop tracking those things because if you're not proactive before it all stops again, you're just going to go through the same rabbit hole. Um, And just so people can kind of take everything you said and use it uh, with application, I'm going to use an example that I see a lot. Um, I have had plenty of CrossFitters come to me that were eating paleo and there's nothing wrong with paleo, but it's chronically known for accidentally putting you in a deficit because it's just hard to get enough calories in to support CrossFit intensity. And I would get these people and there's always two routes to take. And the best way I kind of associated it, and I'll get your feedback on this is you're either way too stressed. Your cortisol is probably pretty high. Your adrenals might be kind of jacked up. We have to deload your training. And I know you're so afraid to eat more food. I'm not going to throw a bunch of calories on you yet, but we're going to do way less exercise. Or the person that doesn't care if they can eat more, as long as they just, they can go to CrossFit. They do not want to give up training. And for those people, I'm like, let's keep pushing the intensity, but we're going to eat more food. And either way, we end up with that result. And it's basically what you described. So I think people listening should kind of associate what personality type do you have? Do you need to be in the gym or do you need to stay away from calories? Like what is your kind of zone? I think that would probably be the best path for you. Yeah, I think that's genius, Cody. And I think it speaks, you're basically illustrating the fact that you have a lot of experience and you can tell, right? Because you're taking personal preference into account first and foremost, which any great coach will do. This is art and science. And the personal preference piece is critical. If you're not doing that, I would just say you're a shitty coach. I'll just come out and say that. You are a shitty coach if you don't take your personal preferences of your client into account. So yes, I think that's stated beautifully and that's exactly how I would do it. Now in terms of taking this further, here's the thing. I think the personal preference is a great way to jump off to this. There are also people who in their personal preferences want to count. They are math people. They want calories, they want macros, they want it all written down for them. Again, as a coach, if I see that you are a calories first macro person and that's how your brain works, then I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna take a calories first approach. I'm gonna adjust the calories, I'm gonna adjust the macros, and then I'm gonna see, does that throw heck more out of check or keep heck in check? So I'm going calories first, And then I will adjust based on the biofeedback sensations that are elicited from that calorie and macro count. Or if you're someone who doesn't want to count at all, then I'm going to take more of an intuitive approach and I'm going to say, all right, I want you to essentially just uh, eat um, no carbs or less carbs or eat more fat or less fat or eat more protein or less protein. And I'll give them essentially um, many different ways to do this. I can say, make your plate look this way, you know, um, do a shake in the morning, a big salad at, you know, in the middle of the day and a regular meal at night. There's many different ways to start them out, but I can go calories first or calories second and intuition first. And I do that based on personal preference. So if it's a calories first approach, what I'm typically doing is there's several different ways to do this. I can go, if I really want to create sort of an ELEM type of approach, It's very simple, body weight in pounds times 10 is what I do, I just make it super simple. If it's an EMEM approach, I go body weight times 15, right? So you see how it's just 
pretty easy there, right? Now, same thing with ELEL. I build body weight times 10 with much less exercise. So see how that works? Same thing if it's just an EMEL, couch potato model, I go body weight times 15. So I use this 10 and 15 back and forth as a place to start. Now, here's what we need to understand. There's no magic in that. It's completely arbitrary. I essentially just made it up based on clinical experience. But I give them what they want, and then I watch to see what happens. In other words, I'm not saying this is what they should be doing. What I'm saying is start here. Let's see how your metabolism responds, and then we will adjust. Or I do it the other way and say, here's the kind of things I want you to eat. I want you to take more of a quality over quantity type approach. And then what I'll do is I'll see and back calculate calories using it as sort of a judgment, right? So over time, I'll be like, oh, you either got results or you didn't. Let's see where you were in terms of your calories when you were feeling your best. And it's not going to stay there forever, but it's a good way to do this. And so I'm starting in one group of individuals with calories first and macros and all of that and a full on calculation for them. And then I'm essentially saying, let's see how your body responds to that. Or I say, hey, I want you to eat these kinds of foods, this kind of quality of food. And then I go, let's see what that came out with in terms of quantity. And that way I can address personal preferences and give people exactly what they want, but still teach them that in the end, it's about how their body responds. And that's going to be different for Cody, for me, and for any of you who are listening. It's going to be completely different. And this is a far more... You know, it's funny, Cody, I don't know if you had this, but I remember back in the day, people have this thing where they're always like, I do individualized nutrition. And then that individualized nutrition essentially consists of three different protocols that they give people, right? And that is not individualized nutrition. Even if it's 10 different protocols, that's not individualized nutrition either. What I'm talking about is true individualized nutrition. And it's pretty easy to do once you understand what we're up against. I love that because something I've always said is uh, the magic is in the adjustments and it, you just literally just said that exact same thing because people, and you've probably had this too, have reached out to me in the past and been like, especially before I got my word out of what I do is, uh, hey, can you just program my macros for me? I don't need coaching. It's like, I don't do that because you can't just punch numbers in and just follow those for the next six months and expect to get results because there's so many adjustments along the way as all these things within your philosophy of heck start to change and adapt. We need to bounce around. We need to periodize nutrition, um, which actually gets me to something that just popped into my head. Um, now that you're talking and you've been preaching this and, and using this practice for so long. And it's funny that they just did a study on this. Um, the Matador study. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but basically mm -hmm, they absolutely big deficit for one to two weeks maintenance for one, two weeks. And they're like, holy cow, these people lost weight, but they didn't quote unquote damage or create dysfunction in their metabolism, like the chronic dieters of 16 weeks straight or whatever it was. And I mean, that was probably music to your ears because it just took what you do and put it in a study and showed that you need to bounce back and forth between these things to create sustainable fat loss. Yeah. You know, it doesn't always happen, but it's beautiful when it does happen. Cause you know, and, and this brings us to a whole other thing. I'm glad you brought that up, Cody. Cause it's, it's again, it's like, I use science to refine my approach, not define my approach. Mm. It, it, you know, so what I mean by that is I don't, rarely in my career have I read a study about a magic new supplement or, you know, whatever, and then put people on that and had everyone respond. Some people respond, some people won't. Mm -hmm. But um, I do much better clinically when I use the art and use my objective sort of observations and then uh, every now and then I win because I'm like, oh, this study came up and showed that what I'm doing is exactly right. 
More often than not, though, what happens is the study will come up and say, oh, part of what you're doing, Jade, is correct. But the study, maybe try this. And over time, you begin to refine your approach based on the science. What I would say is we really need to look at the art of this, too, and really think about absolutely these researchers out there. In my mind, I, I pay attention to these guys and girls all the time. I'm so grateful for them doing what they do. And I consider myself... I don't know, I'm probably 60, 40, 60% clinician, 40% researcher, maybe 50, 50. I read a lot of research, but not as good as these guys and girls do. The, the big mistake I think a lot of them make in the researcher realm is they're using research to define the approach and usually they're not seeing clients, so that, no wonder they're failing. And, but us clinicians oftentimes are jumping on that and saying, oh, okay, well they say this or that and then we're not getting great results. Likewise, though, clinicians oftentimes are making a lot of shit up and not using and not looking much at science either. And we need to be very careful that we do use the science to refine our approach. So what I would say is researchers need to be a little bit more careful about um, going too far with the science. And clinicians need to be a little bit too, a little bit uh, more cognizant and aware that they can't just make stuff up. What works in your clinical practice may not work across the board. For example, if I'm a guy who works with nothing but lean, fit, highly motivated 20-year-old women who want to get up and do figure competitions, I in no way have an expertise in dealing with mature women who are menopausal. Sorry, you just don't. And I can tell you that straight out. And so you have to be, um, you just got to learn to check your ego a little bit in this field as a coach if you want to be a good coach and just essentially say, let me be very clear on what my expertise is and what my expertise isn't. Use the science to refine my approach um, and not get too caught up in this, um, you know, this peer-to-peer -peer stuff. Ultimately, we're serving our client. You know, so like I, I want Cody to respect me. I'm sure he wants me to respect him as a coach. But more importantly, the two of us want to get results. And sometimes that's going to go along with a study and sometimes it's not. And so I don't know if you have any sort of thoughts on that, but I think it's a really important conversation to be having right now, especially with all the information out there. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think, because I've used that protocol on people and it worked great and I've worked, used it on other people and it didn't work so great. But I think, Absolutely. I think the key of it was, it showed us that we shouldn't be in a deficit for a very long extended period of time, especially when exercising too intensely, whether you have two refeed days in a row, whether you take a week off, whether you go back and forth between these toggles, like you described for two weeks at a time, three weeks at a time. The point is, is we can't just diet and diet and diet and diet. And I think that's the big takeaway people need to, to get from it is don't just follow this and just keep following it. Cause it's not going to work forever. And I love the, uh, refine, not define. Like, I love that line. Yeah. I think I'm going to steal that. Um, one place I would like to go with you since we're talking about studies is a recent study that uh, I want to say Dr. Jose Antonio published was something of the effect of uh, if you're he, the way he quoted it was like, if your trainer tells you that uh, you need to build muscle to improve your metabolism, they're full of shit. Like that's literally how he kind of framed it. And I have massive respect for Dr. T uh, Jose Antonio. I've had him on the show. Um, very smart guy, especially in the protein realm. I think like you said, we can't take one study and make that our, our theory about everything. But I'd love to just get your take on that and just the idea of how important is it to build muscle to improve your metabolism? Yeah, and, and like you said, to me, he's, uh, he's someone I follow, someone I respect, someone who I'm so grateful for his work. 
Um, and I disagree with his statement, but I know what he's getting at, right? He's getting at the idea that this idea that you could just put on muscle and that's all of a sudden going to add 100 to 200 extra calories burned per pound of muscle is ridiculous. We know that's not true. It's probably somewhere between six calories and 30 calories based on the research that a pound of muscle gives you an advantage in. And fat is somewhere between three and six calories for a pound of fat. And so this idea that you're going to put on muscle and then just be like this fat burning machine is not correct. And, and so I think that's what he is speaking to and rightly so. However, what he's missing is it's not what, in my opinion, what he's missing is it's not what the metabolism does at rest with muscle. It's what the metabolism does through activity with extra muscle. Extra muscle, once that muscle starts to move, it becomes a pretty profound advantage um, metabolically, uh, in my opinion. And so we have to sort, and I would, I would love to have, you know, to have this conversation with him, right? Because I think that's, those are important distinctions. I think what people like him are doing, and rightly so, and I'm grateful for it, is they're essentially saying, look, there's so much garbage out there that we need to really be clear with people and come down hard as the researchers and say, no, that's incorrect. I also just think um, it would be better if they had a little bit more nuance. So when he follows that up, he would essentially say, hey, now here's where muscle is advantageous. Because a lot of people might hear that who are not maybe as savvy as me and you and him and others and essentially go, oh, well, then it doesn't matter whether I lift weights or not, and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think that's sort of where I come down on that. But the other thing I'll say about this that's really important is um, because I think it sort of drives this home to a lot of us are um, obsessed with constant results, right? Um, in other words, we're, we're, we have an we have a, uh, we don't like it when we gain any kind of fat back. And sorry, but the metabolism does, right? So metabolism likes to be in cycles. It likes to sort of be in a fat state and it likes to be sort of in a lean state. So um, for example, uh, when, when I do, one of the things when I hit 40, I was trying to train my ass off and it was not working. I was pushing myself into this sort of metabolic compensation state and constantly ch chasing um, the body that, you know, this great look. And ironically, I was craving cheesecake all the time. I was fat as hell and I could not get lean. Now I specifically have times where I get fat and allow myself to get a little bit fat and allow myself to look a little bit puffy. And this has allowed me to sort of um, retrain, for lack of a better term, my metabolism and my mindset in a way that when I come off the current place I am right now and I, I go into either, you know, sort of a, a high training intensity place, like right now I've been probably for the last three weeks since I got to LA, I've been in a couch potato mode. And by the way, I'm in it way too long. And one of the things I'll say about that is because it it, it is sort of a feed-forward cycle, right? You're eating all this junk food, pasta, pizzas, all this stuff I've been binging on, and my body wants to eat more of it, right? And so that's where it becomes a little bit of an issue. However, it has benefit for when you turn things around. And so the other thing I would say to, to, to kind of pull this whole thing full circle is we need oftentimes our clients to be okay with gaining a little bit of fat, looking a little bit you know, puffy, looking not um, the way that they would, um, you know, want all the time. And I think that's a whole other uh, conversation to have because it has 
some benefits for the metabolism, especially if you're someone who's dealing with um, lots of metabolic, um, you know, sort of issues. And it, the reason so that made me uh, think about this conversation about um, muscle mass is because what happens is if you don't maintain your muscle, your muscle is sort of in my mind, the, um, you know, we, we, we know this term sort of muscle memory. Well, I would call it metabolic memory as well. Your muscle holds your metabolic memory to get you back to where you were. And so you want to maintain that. So even when you are in these sort of off cycles or you're training like crazy, in my mind, it's irresponsible to tell people having muscle doesn't matter because as I switch back or you switch back, Cody, or anybody else listening switches back into, now they're going to go into an eat less, exercise more state, and they've lost a lot of muscle along the way, their, their body is not going to respond the same and it's not going to look the same. And so what I would say is, as you go back and forth between these cycles, lean phases, fat phases, whatever you want, right? You better, in my mind, maintain your muscle mass because in my mind, that's what maintains your metabolic memory, so to speak. And so I think it's hugely important um, for those of us who live this lifestyle. I love that, man. It's uh, really well put, especially the fact that people need to consider what muscle does when you're performing versus when you're at rest. And I think that's really the big uh, take home for people to understand how important it is. Um, And I also like the fact that you talked about kind of like this maintenance phase you're on, because I think a lot of people hate being in a maintenance phase because it's like, if I'm not chasing gains or chasing fat loss, what am I doing? Well, it's like, well, sometimes you need to maintain in order to get those things later on. So I'm really glad you touched on that because we talk a lot about uh, nutritional periodization with our company and our coaches. And it's the same thing, like going back and forth between these phases to make sure you can sustain what you want to do. And I know we're getting close on time, but there's one last thing I really want to touch on before we get on to like the final personality question for you is uh, does macronutrient uh, differences come into play? Is that individual? What, is it just calories? I guess what I'm trying to ask is, does it matter if somebody's following a high fat approach, low carb approach, or a high carb approach when it comes to the metabolism and how fast it's working? Or is it simply exercise and calories? Like, is that all that matters, output and input? Uh, macros definitely matter because macros are going to determine. So calories are sort of the, the global calorie, I look at it like this, there's two things required for fat loss, right? There, you need to have calorie deficits. Anyone who says that's not true, in my mind, just really has no credibility in the field. Calories come first. They are absolutely important. If you're going to lose fat, you've got to create a calorie deficit. Just like if you're going to gain muscle, you've got to create a calorie surplus, right? However, there's another piece to this. It's that, okay, there's a hormonal component. That hormonal component to me is the hunger and cravings and energy issues and things like that. So you need both. Macronutrients are your window into the hormones, believe it or not. So that's how I look at this. So you got calories and then you got macros. Calories to me are the calorie end of the equation. And macros to me speak to the hormonal end of the equation because they have different impact on some of these um, hormonal sort of reactions that feed the brain or tell the brain to be satisfied. And protein becomes, in my mind, the most critical component. If you look at uh, the research, my reading of the research and my clinical experience, to me, protein is the thing um, that you need. If we were just, if I was, if you were going to say, Jade, okay, I'm going to pin you down. I want you to tell me what should everyone do, a one size fits all approach that will work for most people. What would I say? I would say low calories with higher protein as a percent 
of the macros. If, I, if you had to pin me down, that's what I would say, a lower calorie diet with a higher percent of protein as the macros, somewhere around 40%, as high as 40%. Um, somewhere around anywhere between one pound per pound or one gram of protein per pound of lean body mass up to one pound per uh, one gram per pound of body weight. Somewhere between there is where you're going to want to be. And that's going to keep hunger, energy, and cravings in check. So typically when I'm doing an eat less, exercise less approach, I am doing one gram per pound of lean body mass of protein. And then I'm back calculating all the other macros from there. Typically, when I'm doing eat more, exercise more, I'm doing one gram per pound of body weight protein. And then I'm back calculating all the macros from there. So you see what I'm doing? I'm basing it on protein because I know that's the macro that is going to be the, the most important for keeping Schneck or Heck in check. That's how I do that. Now, the other thing I'll say here is it's very dangerous when you, when you go into sort of this fat and carbohydrate mixture this sugar, fat, salt, alcohol, carbohydrate mixture. This is something that if you guys are interested in this science, I think Stephen Guillenet is the best. He wrote a book called The Hungry Brain, and it talks an awful lot about how these combinations of these highly palatable foods, the combinations of fat and sugar and salt and alcohol can create this sort of brain state that wants to eat more and more and more. And most of us understand this. Like, you know, um, if we're eating a slice of pizza, it's very difficult not to have another slice of pizza. However, if you're eating chicken breast and broccoli, it's pretty easy to be like, I don't want another piece of chicken breast and broccoli. So we know this intuitively. And so the other approach that I would take then, um, in addition to this protein leveling approach, is I'll, I'll try to be very, very careful about having both calorie, both carbs and fat in the mix. I'll either want to go the protein plus the fat, with very little carb, or I'll want to go the protein plus the carb with very little fat. And so, and this again is built on um, preferences. So I, what I have come to see is that this, this combination of foods that creates uh, this highly palatable overeating state. And obviously hard gainers, which I'm not, I'm one of these muscle fat dudes that blows up really, really easily when I eat these foods versus these, you know, guys who are just like, you know, they can't put on any size at all. I need to avoid those foods. They just make me look like quasi bloto basically, right? But these other guys and girls who are hard gainers, they, these foods can become beneficial at that point. So as a coach, you can use this to your advantage. Level off the protein, make that your, your sort of baseline, and then come in with either fat and protein only or carbs and protein only with low fat, or in the very rare cases where you got these very hard gainers who want to put on muscle and just can't get the calorie loads in, put them both on board. But you see, once you start understanding the science, you can start being far more nuanced in your approach with macros. And so protein to me across the board is beneficial. And if we were going to do one size fits all thing, protein, low calorie, that's the way to go. However, if we're going to nuance this, if you're more vegetarian based, good, get the protein in, plus the um, carbohydrates. And by the way, if you're vegan, now protein's sort of out the window as well. So what else do we have that can satiate? Fiber, right? So that's the one thing. A lot of these people are not vegetarians, they're starchitarians. And what we want to do is make them fiberitarians if they can't get protein on board, because that's the next sort of best thing. So hopefully that's making sense in the way I do that with macros and also how it re relates to the hormonal versus the caloric approach. Absolutely. And, and again, this goes down to the art of coaching, right? Like people need to be aware of this so they can 
understand how, how to adhere to the plan in the first place. And, and if anybody wants to test this, the best way to do it, and, and I do this all the time because I like this, but um, like have just white rice with your meat or whatever, or have just a sweet potato. You can have a little bit and you can easily stop. Put some grass-fed butter and salt on either one of those and you can instantly eat twice as much. And it's hard for me because I'll fit it into my macros because I love a good baked sweet potato with grass-fed butter and some salt on it. But holy yep. shit, I can eat some carbs when that's the case. So, <laughs> so if anybody wants to yep. test this, go that route. Um, Jade, thank you so much for coming on, man. I have one question left for you. There's just been so much value on this podcast. I'm really happy I had you on to talk about this. But the last question is something I do with all my guests. It's a personality question. So you're going to have to decide which way you want to go with this. But the situation is you're at a dinner table and you have three empty seats in front of you and you can choose anybody to sit at those tables and eat dinner with you. They can be alive or dead but they cannot be friends or family. Who is sitting at that table uh, with you? Uh, that's, uh, well, I have, I have several people that jumped in mind right away. One is Bruce Lee. Um, Bruce Lee, the actor, the philosopher. Uh, I just uh, think he uh, was genius. Um, the other are probably, um, you know, if it's not friends or family, probably, probably all my heroes. So probably Muhammad Ali would be one. Um, Muhammad Ali is another big time hero of mine. And probably the final one would be, and I don't necessarily know who this is, but a, a, a major researcher in the field sort of of uh, metabolism and who could teach me a lot of the things that I don't know. And I can't think of who that might be and or somebody who 100% disagrees with my whole philosophy mm -hmm. um, about nutrition. And I, I, the reason I throw those in there is because Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali to me are just people that I feel like I would learn immense meaning from and just want, would love to pick their brains about their lives. And then the next one is about, and this is my final sort of thing about me as an individual, too many of us are in our biases and in our boxes. And so I think I know what I know, right? But I can never know what I, I don't know what I don't know. And I want people and exposure to things that will challenge my belief system. I want to sit with the guy or girl who's the researcher who just says metabolic damage is bullshit and blah, 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 and whatever it is, because I want to learn from their experience instead of shutting that stuff out. And so I don't know who those individuals would be, but that's the kind of person that I would want there. And I think um, that is a, a core sort of um, belief of mine. So hopefully, that. yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think if there's any table of people that you're going to learn quite a bit from, um, it's those three people. So I like the way you framed that, man. <laughs> really, really good. And I'm huge fans of both of them, too. So, um, man, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, give the listeners somewhere they can find you. Instagram, um, I believe you have a podcast, your website, anything like that that you got going on yeah. that you can give them so they can come come see what you're doing. Well, first of all, Cody, thank you, brother. Thanks for your work as well. Um, thanks for everything you do. Those of you who want to find out more about me, probably the best thing is uh, at JTita on Instagram right now and jtita.com. I spend a lot of time on Instagram. Hit me up there. Follow me there. I'll answer some of your questions when I have time if you DM me. And I think that's it, man. Thanks. Thanks for your time too, brother. Thanks for what you do. 